Welcome to Thrivers, nonprofit leadership for the next normal. I am your host, Tucker Wanamaker, the CEO of Thrive Impact. Our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout. Burnout is the enemy of creating positive change, and we want to connect you with impactful mission-driven leaders and ideas so that you can learn to thrive in today's nonprofit landscape. I'm joined, as usual today, by my co-host, Sarah Fanslow, our Chief of Impact at Thrive Impact. Sarah, what a delight to be with you again today. So excited to be here again. Well, and Sarah, today's topic is a, it's a tough one. It's uh, it's one that is straight up incredibly painful for nonprofits right now. And that is recruiting and staffing and hiring. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful to have some guests, but before I introduce them, Sarah, what does it feel like? What are some stats or data? I love that you're our data person. You have so many stats and data always readily available. What is the data saying out there around what does the space look like for nonprofits right now? Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of data out there around this. Um, nonprofit HR is 2021 nonprofit talent retention practices survey found that 42% of responding nonprofits expected employee turnover rates to increase in the coming year, and 80% had no strategy in place for talent retention, right? So you think about that, people are expecting turnover, they don't have a strategy in place to replace talent that gets lost. And then, you know, it's actually really costly to replace talent. So according to a book, Keeping the People Who Keep You in Business, um, that came out in in 2000. The cost of losing an employee can range from 25 to 200 percent of that person's salary, and so it's really expensive, right? Let alone being able to deliver against your objectives. It's really really expensive for organizations. So, I think the highlight is that this is a pretty painful area for nonprofits, and one exactly. that we need to figure out how to do something about in order to help help leaders. Big time. Well, that's why I'm grateful to have here today as guests on the Thriver podcast. We have Allie Horst. She is the director at Core Ventures, a Colorado-based recruiting firm uh, that really prioritizes culture fit for candidates and client organizations. Uh, I love, and I've Allie, I've met your husband too. Chris, Chris Horst has been deep in the nonprofit world and in fact, written some books on this. So you and your husband are both like deep in this space, have been in it for a long time. Uh, and you have four kids like we do. How fun is that? Um, so fun. Yeah. And so, uh, and I, you know, I heard you speak, um, I was like a month ago or maybe two months mm-hmm. ago, whenever it was. And I just really appreciated your really, uh, concise and poignant points around, uh, well, as you were sharing, I was like, this is the next normal of nonprofit leadership. Uh, mm-hmm. cause that's since the title of our podcast. Right. Um, so Ali, I'm really grateful to have you to be able to share some of what you've been learning as you've been doing a lot of recruiting and hiring with organizations. And then Andy, Andy Magel, he's the director of Mile High Workshop. And you've been you've been a longtime influencer in here in Denver around social entrepreneurship and social enterprises. And you di- you direct the Mile High Workshop uh, that creates employment opportunities and uh, provides job training for members of our community seeking to rebuild from addictions, homelessness, and incarceration. Uh, and Andy, I love that you are you are a leader that is deep in the trenches of a community. You're a small community-based social enterprise that's really making some headway here. And you've had some of these tensions and pains as well along the way. Um, so Andy, I'm really grateful for you to be a part of this today. Yeah, thanks, Tucker. That might be the first time anybody's ever called me an influencer before. 
Uh, <laughs> I don't have a big social media presence, but I've been doing the social enterprise thing for a little while. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's let's hop right into it. Uh, and Ali, I'll kick it off with you. What are the pains? We just talked about this is a painful topic. What are the pains? You know, we're coming out of a pandemic. Uh, we're in this weird post-pandemic world. Uh, the the great resignation slash reassessment slash whatever we want to call it. A lot of people are in it's a, it's a weird space. And what are uh -huh. the pains that you're noticing that nonprofit leaders are experiencing regarding uh, recruiting and hiring and attracting uh, talent? Yeah, yeah. You just listed off a a great summary of all of the variables, and and we've always had the main variable at the center of every hiring process is humans, right? Like we're hiring humans who have so much going on behind the scenes, um, whether it's family dynamics or, or housing or, uh, you know, it all economics, their, their thoughts about the future career aspirations. So there's this human thing. And then, you know, we all have felt it. Society as a whole has had all these things, um, overturned that we've just kind of assumed are going to be constants. So I think in this moment that the list of variables and dynamics going into this process is greater than ever. And people are feeling like this is the moment for big change, you know, whether it's staff on the team, they're kind of have that itch of like, I want to, I want to try something new um, or people in the hiring process feel like they can ask for a little bit more than maybe we did 10 years ago. So there's just, there's a lot of dynamics introduced into what was already a complex process. Mm. Yeah. I'm here. Like there's a phrase that uh, is, is, I think been making its way in the nonprofit world, which is the VUCA world. We're in a volatile, uncertain, complex mm -hmm. and ambiguous world. Yep. That's and, it. <laughs> and you're like, all these factors are, are playing and, and amplifying it and creating exponential VUCA, if you will, right now. And opportunity, though. I love, Ali, that you hit on this piece of, this is a time when people said, you know, there was a past and then there was COVID and things changed. And all of a sudden, workers have a voice that they uh -huh. didn't have even a few uh -huh. years ago. And they're right to say, mm, I'm not sure the old contract works for me anymore. I'm looking for something more. Have you seen that as, as well in your work? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of room um, to get a little more creative with what could this look like. Whether it's we're seeing many more uh, nonprofits and and candidates who are saying, "What if we did this um, three quarters time?" Or what if my work schedule would look like this? Mm. And uh, I've seen people like Andy respond nimbly to that and saying, "Yeah, if if this is the right person, let's let's adapt this role." to work for these hours so that you can, you know, do this, do this project that you want to every Friday, or you can pick up, pick up kids, you know, after school every day. Um, there just, it does seem like there's more creativity because we all had to get really creative during COVID. So I think it's like all on the table and let's see mm. what this position could look like in a non-traditional format. Mm. Andy, what have you been seeing from a pain perspective as the director of a, of a nonprofit uh, that focuses actually on workforce as well, you know, so you kind of have a, like a two, like two different angles of sorts at this. What are you noticing are some of the pains or the issues that uh, nonprofit leaders are really experiencing right now around this? Yeah, we definitely live in the employment world. And uh, I think we see it. The, the positive side for our mission is that when people who are in our program are leaving to go get a job, 
that there are people in the community who are hungry for them um, in ways they haven't mm. been before. But, you know, the other side of coin for us is when we are trying to hire, uh, it's definitely a, a more complex process. It, it used to be that hiring for me was like, I'm going to put it on my personal Facebook and my social media account and I'll get, you know, a friend of a friend is going to apply and it's just like, it's going to be great. And now it's like much more difficult. And so partnering with Allie and her team at Core has helped ease the burden. It's just become this much bigger process and much more time consuming and difficult thing than it used to be. Um, and just because I think, yeah, people are reevaluating their lives and trying to figure it out. Well, and just out of curiosity, before we go into what does the next normal look like, you know, and Al, you kind of hit on this a little bit, but I'm just curious around, um, you know, our, our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout. And when I say that mission to people who don't have familiarity with nonprofits, they're like, oh my gosh, that's such an issue. Like, and they don't even have any context, right? They're not in the nonprofit world. They maybe know a friend and that's about it. But it, you know, as are there issues around specific to the nonprofit space that you're noticing and just out of curiosity, this is a hypothesis that I'm curious about around some of the beliefs around like, the, do nonprofit leaders just get burned out, right? Well, I don't necessarily want to get burned out, right? So therefore, so like, I'm curious if there's a, a, something from your vantage point or perspective around one of these pains being around the belief around what it means to work at a nonprofit in the first place. So just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely shifting uh, movement there. The traditional belief, I, I think, has been like, if you work at a nonprofit, it means that you are basically a volunteer. Uh, you might get paid, but it's not going to be very much. You may not get any benefits of any kind. You're not going to get any time off, you know, and all these sorts of things. And so I think, you know, the nonprofit discount type situation is something that we have to navigate in the hiring process. And there are there there's a real truth that, like, if somebody is coming from the tech industry and they're looking at the nonprofit world, like there's going to be a dip in salary and we like, we can't be competitive on that front. And so, you know, I think like uh, there's a lot of factors that are different for us in the nonprofit world because we're usually running pretty lean. Our budgets are a little smaller. You know, if you're a small nonprofit, like we are, you don't have an HR department, you know, and so right. you're trying to like navigate all this stuff. So yeah, it, it can definitely be a challenge. And I, probably contributes to the notion of just like, sheesh, I don't want to jump into that and get eaten up, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think there's movement and I, I know, you know, new normal is kind of the language that you're talking about, but there, there's certainly a movement towards a reality at nonprofit that doesn't mean you have to kill yourself to do good work in the world, you know? And, and I think we, we do everything we possibly can to make sure that when we're hiring people, we're really clear about expectations, that we are setting them up for success, so we, you know? And we'll get way into this, but it's like, if you have good people, you want to keep them, you know, like it's mm -hmm. the worst possible thing for us to, to lose someone to something like burnout. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So um, what does this next normal look like for attracting and hiring good people? What are, what are things that you've uh, learned over the last, you know, year or so? Uh, that you're like, this is the space that we all need to be thinking in, learning into being in and when it comes to really doing this. Allie, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think there's a lot of room um, to start experimenting with what it looks like to pursue people. And the traditional model of hiring and recruiting was kind of, I mean, Andy had even taken a little bit farther, but it's posting on the job board and sitting back passively and seeing who comes. And now that has really changed to being 
organizations have to go after people and they have to put put this opportunity in their laps and say, hey, what do you think about this? Let's start this conversation. Um, so whether that's, you know, using online tools like a LinkedIn or that's sending it out to your donors, I feel like that's a that's an area that, I mean, it's a, it's a great way as a donor, someone who loves your organization, they are all about, you know, finding that friend or a family member who could contribute. That's an easy win. So it's starting to think about how do we pursue people and how do we ask people who are fans of us to pursue people on our behalf? Um, yeah, I, I love just, uh, we've worked with Dream Centers in the Springs and they have a, a connected board and connected, you know, just all sorts of people in the community. And so they're not going to hesitate about asking, okay, let's, let's see who's out there and um, make those connections through people who are already supporting us. This is just a new way to support us. Yeah. And I think too, like to Ali's point earlier, you know, we've had to be creative and flexible about how we hire, you know, and I think your point about like picking kids up from school, we had a, a leadership position that was open and, you know, we had a candidate that we really liked and she's, her situation was just, you know, she has kids there in school. She's the person who picks them up. And so we had the decision to make as an organization, like we hire this person with the knowledge that like, she will not be here after three o'clock or whatever, or like, is that a deal breaker for us? And, you know, in our minds, it's like, she's awesome. We definitely want her on our team. So like, can we live with that her for an hour every day in the afternoon? We probably can, you know, and yeah. she just started this month and we're really excited about her. Oh, I love that, Andy. Yeah, setting up expectations at the start, right? What people need and negotiating that before they get in the door so that everyone's on the same page about what it takes for this person to show up fully yeah. as, a, as a full human in their workplace. And that's, for me, one of the things I've really seen a switch around before. I was like, there's a work human and somehow a personal human. And uh -huh. they're just, and, and we all knew that was a false narrative yet, but we bought into it. And COVID just went like broke that in half, I think, for a lot of people. And now we're in a world where it's, we're all whole humans. What does it mean to show up as that at work? And how do we navigate that? And Sarah, I love the, the thought of like, Andy is showing like, we are, we are all about the whole a whole human here and think about what that does for retention for not just that individual, but for other people on the team who, when they're starting to have some sort of life crisis or life change, it's not a either, or it's like, Hey, we could actually have a conversation here and get creative. Mm, yeah. Opening that door and keeping it open mm -hmm. for us to live into how life changes. Cause mm -hmm. it changes. Right? That's what yeah. being human is about. Yeah. I love that. When we were making this hire, I told her, I said, look, do not come to back to me with a no. As you think about this, please come back to me with like, under what circumstances would this job fit your life? And Love like that. that, that's what I want to hear from mm -hmm. you. And then we will decide together if that works for both of us, you know? Ooh, I yeah. like that. That's so good. We've, we've known about like salary negotiations for a long time and like, let's make this a conversation, but having those pieces on the negotiation table and being upfront of like, let's, we can both flex here. Yeah. I love that. Well, it's like, there's, you know, going back to the pain around, you know, being competitive, Andy, as you were saying, you know, tech, somebody coming into tech space, uh, potentially not being able to be competitive from a salary perspective, but it seems like, you know, there's other forms of currency, if you will, which are, quality of life, culture. There are some of these other factors and Andy, I appreciate what you're sharing around opening up the aperture for co-creation around that, 
right? Around mm -hmm. the other forms of currency involved in a job, right? My ability to right. learn and grow. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that come into this. And Ali, I appreciate it. Like perhaps the old way was it was just a salary and benefits negotiation. Mm -hmm. And now it's like a, a whole employment, you know, whole human almost type of approach, like open up the aperture to how you work. We were just having, um, we just did an interview with a, a, a delightful executive director and their director of operations of a great organization called EMA uh, who works with mothers. Uh, Every Mother's Advocate is what EMA stands for. And they're like, how, and we were asking them about how they live into their values because they're mothers too. And, mm -hmm. and that was an important factor around living into the values that they actually bring out into the world in this sort of whole human way and how important that was for them and their work. Um, Ali, I want to ask you a question. You mentioned something to me a while ago, which was being prepared for people across the spectrum, like uh, in knowing what's coming your way, like basically you were kind of hitting on people who are coming at us are not, it's not going to be a cookie cutter. You know, they have this experience and this experience that led in this linear path. Mm -hmm. And tell, tell us a little bit more about that next normal of what this reality is that we're, we're dealing with in terms of the types of job applicants that are coming, mm -hmm. uh, coming at, not at some of these uh, situations. Hmm. Yeah, that coming out of COVID, we started seeing candidates who would have really untraditional uh, resumes for what they were applying for. You right? This was there was nothing linear about this this uh, career path, and uh, it really required leaders to get crystal clear on what the what are the components of this job that are absolutely essential. And what are those characteristics or uh, various ways that someone could demonstrate success that would translate into this, right? Like how could someone from banking come into a role at the workshop or, um, you know, in a healthcare clinic, like what would, what would that transition look like? And what, what, are, what does this person need to show in the hiring process to make us think they could be successful? Um, yeah. So we've seen, I, I think the, best process you you feel like throughout the hiring process there's this expanded imagination happening on both parties right candidate is saying yeah actually i could plug in here and i could use this skill set that i've developed in this new way and on the employer side we see uh nonprofits making the best hires when they have this larger imagination about what these roles are and who their team is mm. What are one of the things that I find most challenging about the interview process is like, you know, what are the practical steps? You know, we all have the talking one where I ask you a bunch of questions, but like getting to the, can people do the things? Mm -hmm. Are they a match for skills and competencies? I'd love for you to share with us, like how you're seeing nonprofits do that right now so that they can be more imaginative about who they're putting in the chair. Right, right. Yeah, we're we're trying to kind of experiment with this with each partner of like, okay, what is this? What what projects can we pull out? Um, we have a number of partners who are really strategic with having um, candidates come to events, right? And because a huge part of this is, can you can you interact with the spectrum of people involved that are um, stakeholders in this in this organization, right? Whether it's a board member, a donor, uh, a program member team member, you know, all of those dynamics, can they kind of navigate all of that? Mm -hmm. So I do think there's just, there's a lot of room for some casual interaction. Um, mm -hmm. 
uh, I'm, I'm, you know, education background. So I'm like, man, let's get them in there and explaining an area of expertise. And can they, can they present, you know, this is, these are the changes I'd make, or this is how I implement this. Like, let's get some practical projects in there as part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Andy, what have you guys done? Yeah. I mean, side? I think all of those things, yeah. uh, you know, we, we're a single site location. And so a lot of times I like to take people for a tour and Mm. kind of observe how they interact with folks who are in the program, you know, and our mission is people who are returning from incarceration, addiction, homelessness. And so maybe folks that they have not navigated life with before. So you can tell, you know, pretty quickly, like how comfortable are you in this environment? And is this an okay space, you know, where you could reasonably be successful? So Mm we're always fans of like inserting little, like if this is a details follow through, I'm going to ask you to follow up on something in our, in our phone call. Like, Oh yeah. Can you send me the name of that book? And like, just, you know, those mm-hmm. kind of things. Can you send me that restaurant? Just like, can we, can we, are we following through on those little things? If it's, mm-hmm. if that's the type of role, um, you know, each, each role has its different areas of expertise, but just some of those little things, if someone is saying, Hey, you know, tenacity and follow through is my middle name. Like, let's see it. Mm. Ooh, I love that. What kind of questions, um, to, to kind of go deeper into this? Like, so you've, let's say you've done the attracting the finding, like you went out and found, uh, at least candidates. Uh, but yeah, when you're, when you're in that space of like, to your, to Sarah's point and to Ali, what, what, what you're talking about, of regardless of what their background is really understanding uh, what's going on, you know, is this a right fit or not? You know, when the rubber's starting to meet the road, what kind of questions do you ask or have you explored that have worked um, that un, that unearth, you know, a value connection, right? Do they fit in? Will they fit into our culture? Uh, do they have the right skills that we need? Like, what are some of the questions that you've asked or engaged in to help unearth some of these things? Tucker, I don't, I mean, this is less of a type of question, more just, I am a big believer in repeating a question of, about three times, right? You get, you ask the question, whatever that question, you know, your greatest strength or your, the most difficult thing you've experienced at work, how you've overcome it. You hear the story that they've prepared and they're like, okay, and tell me about another time. And maybe that one's like a little <laughs> loosier. And then I'm going to ask it the third time. And that third story is usually the one that they like did not anticipate sharing. And you're like, oh, we're shooting from the hip now. And I'm, and I'm getting a good stuff. <laughs> I'm going to do that every time now. That's the best. Just keep going. And they're like, and oh, again, they're still asking this. Yeah, how about no. another one? <laughs> <laughs> Please uh, don't uh, use that tactic in this, in this right now. Yeah. Allie tells That's why we partner with Allie. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly why we like working with Allie and Core. <laughs> love that. Andy, what about you from you? Yeah, your perspective. What what are like the core few questions you ask everyone and is essential to why you bring someone in the door? Yeah, I mean, I think we are always looking for examples. Uh, my tendency without guidance is like, are you good at this? Do you like this? And so I think like being a better interviewer, you know, we've learned from Allie and her team just to ask for more tangible examples. So we're always asking that. But I think the thing that's most important for us, especially as the world is slightly different, like Allie was mentioning, is like somebody may not have an example that totally fits like, you know, because it came from something totally different. So what we're really looking for is just like, 
you know, values alignment? Are, are you in the mission? Like maybe you've never worked at a nonprofit before, but like, tell me about ways that you serve your community, that you engage in the people around you. Like, how are you demonstrating the values that are going to make you successful here in your day-to-day life, even if you've, you know, never been in the doors of a nonprofit before? Mm. I love that, like digging in to see, yeah, it's it's fit, right? If Yeah. Because I'm I'm guessing if they have a skills fit but not a culture fit, that's a problem. Right? That's, that's a, a huge problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bigger problem. problem than frankly the other way around. Maybe they don't quite have a skills fit, but if they have a deep culture fit, that's a better that's a better situation than the other way around. Hundred percent. Yeah, we'll take that every single day. Yeah, and I've seen Andy really adapt the the role for that of saying, okay, we can we can kind of shoot high and and maybe roll some other things into this. And we'll just, you know, we'll keep this, keep this job, but now it has a few more responsibilities that we didn't anticipate at the beginning, or we can, we can get someone that's that culture fit that we're going to have to train. And I mean, he just brought someone on the team that's starting in a different role, probably going elsewhere, but he's using it as a, you know, a training kind of opportunity Mm. to get the right person in the right seat eventually. Yeah. he, He applied for one job. We loved him. We're like, this is not the right fit for you. But well, we got these other things that you might be able to like, work your way into. What do you think? And he's just like, hey, I, I'm, I'm into the mission. I want to work with you guys. Uh, I'm down for the ride. And so he's learning. And, and the thing he's doing now, is, which is more kind of uh, client facing, will serve him dramatically. He's going to move into the development space mm. and on the fundraising side. And so it's not a waste of time. He's helping us now. And he's gathering like an insane amount of information and proximity yes. to the mission that will serve him huge down the road. Mm. I love that. I read an article recently that talked about people are thinking about hiring differently. And before it was just like, either you're on the team or not. And now it's, are you on the A team or on the farm team? Right? Like thinking about, <laughs> you know, this bench that you may engage in a different way. Maybe it's a volunteer, maybe it's a board member, whatever, until there's a right fit on the you know, the A-team for that person. Um, and I love that analogy because so often we do just think about one person, one role, when I think we can think much more expansively about leveraging talent. And I think that expansive view speaks well to candidates, right? That's another thing as we're thinking of like, what can we offer candidates beyond just a huge salary? The idea that an employer is seeing you individually uh, viewing your career path in kind of a nimble, a nimble way, right? We can flex and not just schedule, but we can flex kind of the direction. Mm-hmm. And I can see you outside of the bounds of this one job description. Those are all things that they can't get, you know, at a huge corporation that might have a higher salary. Mm. The other thing I was thinking about with this was, do you always hire people as W-2 employees? Or to the point around flexibility, like I've, I've noticed this with sometimes with nonprofits that like we have to hire them and then they're a W-2 employee and then all the things that go along with that versus are there some other options like part-time contractor, you know, or whatever, right? That's that's the other curiosity I have of, and as we're thinking about the different ways, like the A-team and the farm team, like the different ways that we can bring people in and get to know them. Like, what are some of those things that you're noticing uh, people are able to do nowadays that they just because of they weren't thinking about it or whatever, you know, weren't doing before. We did that exact thing this year. Uh, we we brought on two people as 1099 contractors because we had these like needs that didn't equal a 
job necessarily, but like they had to get done. And we had these people kind of, you know, in our ecosystem who were, were in a place in their life where that was exactly what they wanted. And it's been fantastic. Like, and, and one of them is actually going to transition into a full-time employee next year. Um, cause it's just been a really great fit and she's kind of like expanded her role to the point where like, Oh, we, we need you. And this is now a job and the other person is still happily in the contractor seat. And it's, it's been a great solution mm-hmm. to our needs, but definitely outside that kind of traditional box. Mm-hmm. And they're still on the team, right? Like they're still, Oh, 100%. sometimes people think like employee means team contractor means like these people no. from time to time, but no, it's, there's more. They the will be at the Christmas them. party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For sure. They're yeah. in the, the definition of being a team member. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say that I'm always, I'm always a fan of this contractor option. And, and a huge part of it is because when I started my role at Core Ventures, um, I, our owner had approached me and I was like, this is not the right moment for this, right? I have this, you mentioned four kids. It was a season of just a lot of dynamics. And he's like, well, what can you give me? I mean, this is similar to what Andy did. Like, what, what could you say yes to? And I was like, ah, five hours a week, which is nothing, right? <laughs> I mean, it's it's nothing. And he was like, great, let's do it. And then, you know, years later, here, here we are, and it's been a wonderful thing. And I'm so glad I got in the mm. door. So that contractor option just can get the right people in and able to say yes when I really wanted to say yes. I just didn't know what I had at that moment. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think there's two edges to that sword. One is that it's almost like gig work in the nonprofit sector, right? If the person is looking for flexibility and it's a timing fit for them and a skills fit and for the organization, great. I think the other side is, you know, as we're thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, you know, some folks take those jobs because they have to and they want the benefits and they want the full time and they can't find it. And so, in my last organization, we we're always navigating the, you know, part-time employee, the full-time and the contractor and really making sure that we were not taking advantage of folks, right? Because I, I think that's the other thing. The other way to see that is like, oh, we don't have to pay benefits, right? So it's better for the organization and, you know, just an important dynamic, I think, to call out because um, we're all mission-driven people, right? Which means we care about humans and their life and need to have our um, policies and practice live, I think, in accordance. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and thank you for bringing this because that was my next question is what is the next normal around diversity, equity, inclusion when it comes to the attracting the hiring process? Um, you know, we can't exactly put out there, I want this exact type of person, you know, in terms of race or ethnicity or gender or sexual identity or anything like that. Like we can't say that. Uh, how do you incorporate diversity, equity, inclusion strategies into your, uh, you know, attracting and hiring process? I, I, I mean, man, this is, this is the question, the question that we're all wrestling with um, and, and just trying to be creative. I think it, you start from a place of self-awareness, right? Look at your organization and look at, start with your candidate pools, right? Who, who is even interested in this role? Let's start there. Is that because of where you're casting your net? Um, are we are we being strategic with where we're pursuing people, where we're putting, what networks we're putting this out to? Um, and then if, if you are being strategic there and it's still not reflected in your candidate pool, let's look at job descriptions. Like there's a lot of research about language and job descriptions that people of color or women find um, 
find intimidating, find, find, or find offense with that, that, you know, mm-hmm. white men might not, might not feel the same way. They might say, oh, I, I meet, sure. you know, you know, the statistics about like they can meet 50% of the qualifications and feel great. And a woman's going to look at that and say, oh, I don't meet all of them. I can't apply for this. Like that just statistically is how it goes. So let's get really crystal clear again with those. What's, what are the um, absolutes on a job description and make sure our language is inclusive. Um, and then you start looking at your hiring process, right? What, are, who are we favoring in the hiring process? Um, there's a, a technique that a lot of people use is having candidates rate themselves from one to 10. How would your last employer say you were on a scale from one to 10? Um, or, you know, things like that. How did, how would you rate yourself? And not everyone is using the same scale. And so we mm. need to get comfortable with a nine from, from this demographic is very different than a seven from this, or, or yeah. could mean actually the same thing as a seven from this demographic. Um, so I think kind of starting there and working through and then looking at your team, who's staying, who is, who is ask, telling their friends to come um, and let's explore why that is. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would piggyback on that just as far as like your team. I mean, for us, a way to create a diverse team has been to hire internally and to promote internally and to, you know, take the folks that we have who are here, you know, and we've had several people who've gone through the program who are running the organization now, you know, and it's like, so their voice, they come from a very wide array of backgrounds and their voices are very central to what we're doing every day and how we're moving the organization forward. Mm. I appreciate what you're sharing about, you know, job description language, being clear about the absolutes. And and then, you know, it's kind of going back to Andy, even what you were sharing earlier around, how do you even from a job description perspective, put it out there in a way that says that's invitational to let's co-create this together or of sorts. Um, You know, maybe it's asking questions or I'm curious what, what kind of specific things have you done or have you seen that has worked around uh, around this so that we don't by nature, by the very words we put up there. And you gave a good example of that, of, you know, having too many absolutes that, that come across as absolutes, but aren't actually absolutes as an example. And then people are like, oh, I don't fit in. So therefore I'm just going to not even apply. Um, what are some ways that you've seen invitational oriented um, type of job descriptions that have allowed for a diverse pool, if you will, to come in. Yeah. I mean, I think Ali probably has a great view on this for us, just in our experience, you know, it's, we've tried to use language on job descriptions. This is much more about what you know and what you can do than, you know, what your accolades may be, you know, or whatever, like prestigious college you may or may not have gone to, you know, and those types of things. It's more about like, who are you and what can you do? And are you going to jump in? And I think Ali talked about kind of like the discrimination, you know, there's like this, the bar is like, you say, we will not discriminate against you because that's the law. But what we've tried to do is like, Hey, we actively want diverse group of voices at the table. So like you're strongly encouraged to apply if you're a person of color or a woman, like, or or anyone, like we, we want you not just, we're not going to discriminate against you, but we want you. And that's on our, job descriptions. Mm, mm. So putting it out there, like, come on in for real. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please raise your hand, you mm. know, because we want you on our team. Our team is all about the human touch when we're, when we're 
pursuing candidates, right? So this is us reaching out to people and inviting them. I mean, this pairs well with Andy's language. But this is a this is a place because of how our model is. We have the time. This is, you know, this is what we do during the day is we are pursuing people. And so I think I think starting, we get to start conversations from a place of, hey, we think you might be great at this. So let's talk about it and see if it feels like a fit for them and if it feels like a fit for you. We want to win for everyone. So we get to start from kind of this um, warmth and invitation versus just emailing people a job description. Hmm. That's great. Mm, yeah, strength-based. I also love it, Andy. It's like, the it used to be we were like we won't discriminate and now it's the positive opposite of that which is that like we can't do this work without the voices um and so not only are we gonna of course live to the letter of the law but we are intentionally going far beyond that to say you're integral here and come on in yeah yeah it's almost like rather than having the boxes like are you proficient at this this and this it's more the starting point is like are you attracted to the work we're doing? Mm-hmm. Are you a quality person? Let's talk. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a fit. You know? <laughs> and there's a great humility in that. Of in, You're saying, hey, is, do you want to buy into this thing that we're doing? Not, not pitch us on why you're the right person, but you're starting from a point of this is our mission. Yeah. Are you motivated and captivated by it? Mm. Yeah. And I like that. I mean, we, we've added these to our job descriptions, questions at the very beginning. You know, so the questions by nature are a little more invitational mm-hmm. as a whole. Um, so even just like at the very beginning of a job description, like asking them almost reflective questions of themselves by the very job description in the first place. Uh, uh, we've loved that for our our work in terms of jo- our job descriptions. It's worked really well. It's almost like a dating profile, right? Are you this type of person? Do you love <laughs> that, right? And because- That's it. Well, it's pretty right. much the dance. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to, two last questions. Um, I spent a little more time on that made pot or on the um, uh, next normal part. Like, what does this really look like? Cause I think that's rubber meeting the road. I do want very briefly to uh, check in on the, the question around what's made possible and then want to hit like, you know, brass tacks, real specific. We've already given some specifics, but if the, what are the two things that every nonprofit leader needs to be thinking about in order to take this to the next normal for their work? Um, but as we've talked about some of this around um, opening up the aperture, recognizing that the type of candidate pools are going to be all across the all across the board, really going out of our way to finding and attracting, like going and looking and finding, uh, and some of these next normal components. If you lean into them, as Ali, you and Andy have been doing, what's made possible for you as a nonprofit leader, as somebody who's in this work, um, what's made possible when you're able to lean into this space, this big VUCA world that we're in right now around staffing? What, what's been made possible for you as you've been able to lean into some of these next normal practices? I think, I mean, as I reflect on kind of Andy over this last year and partnering with him on a number of searches, um, I, I think the the I, I would just go to the the lessening of isolation, right? Hiring when you're when you're doing it is this isolating process. And so I think that's that's our favorite part of getting to work with nonprofits is this partnership and like we are in the trenches with you, right? When we're doing hiring in a different way, it's an engaging community building thing, right? You're pulling in mm. whether you're pulling in your um stakeholders, your 
you're working together, um, whether you're a partner in the hiring process or a team, I feel like Andy off, I mean, has his whole team involved in this process. So it goes from this isolating thing to, man, it's really, it's a uh, vision setting. It's confirming of who we are as an organization. It's culture building. Uh, I think that's a part of um, what's made possible. Um, what else, Andy? Yeah, I mean, I think like where my mind goes on that is like what's made possible is the strengthening of your mission because, you know, the ultimate goal of all of this is that you end up with people who are on board for the cause and they are down for the ride and like your culture improves, the delivery of your mission improves and like the whole thing perpetuates to a greater degree than, you know, maybe previously if you were thinking more narrowly, then you missed out on people who would have loved to jump in and be like huge assets to what you're doing, you know? And so I think like what that looks like in our world today is that we have people on board who we probably never would have found, who never would have seen our post on whatever platform and be like, oh, I'm that person, you know, but they're now here and they're awesome. And our whole community is better off because of it. Mm. I love that. I, I appreciate both of your answers here around. Uh, it helps us to get out of isolation, um, becomes a hopeful and a place of potential, not this drudgery and this exhaustion. And then Andy, it, it, going down these types of paths, you start to get more of the different and the right types of people, right? That are aligned with your mission, that are aligned with your values. And right. that and you're holding it a little bit more loosely and that allows you some flexibility too. It sounds like as well, that it doesn't have to be so black and white, but it can be a little more flexible and we can grow and learn together in a sense. Totally. Uh, I love that. All right. Yeah, I also, oh, go ahead, Sarah. I was just going to say, I love this piece around it being, you know, community building um, and an opportunity for co-creation with staff, right? Andy, the fact that you invite staff to participate in this. I, I did the same in my last organization. We would have a panel of five or six staff members for one of the sets of interviews and it was dynamic. It was interaction. It was, but it was also staff voice who literally got to say, yeah, I'd love for this person to be part of a team or, you know what, I'm not so sure. And here's why. And then when that person gets brought in, instead of being, Hey, here's a face full of strangers. That's a, Hey, here are folks you've already talked to and started to build a, a relationship with. Um, so I, it's also, I, I think you're both right. It's this opportunity to grow culture and deepen ownership um, across the, the organization. Mm. It reminds me, uh, but I'll bring this in as my practical step, but it reminds me, Sarah, of that story that Slade from Food to Power, a great organization down in Colorado Springs used as a practical step. Um, but let me ask you first, what are like two things, two practical steps that a nonprofit leader can take uh, if if they forget everything that we talked about, but these two things, what are the things you're like, these are the things that you got to do uh, to really uh, make this work well for you? What would you say? My my two things, I think if you're going to do something really simple and you want something super accessible, like update your job descriptions, um, super easy, practical thing. Um, hire Allie and Core Ventures. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, just it's an easy it's an easy email to send, <laughs> and just yeah, think outside the box, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I would say invite people, right? Just just reach out to a couple people and say, would you be interested in this? And could we start a conversation about this role? And then 
um, take from Andy's example and and think about what else you have to negotiate with. What can flex? Yeah. And what can? How can you start that dialogue of saying let's let's not come to a no at the end of this. Let's let's both know what we could give or flex on. Mm, I love that. You know, in that story that I was just sharing, uh, so this is from uh, a phenomenal nonprofit leader down in Colorado Springs named Slade, uh, Slade Custer, and he's the director of development, I believe, for uh, Food to Power. And they said that they have this practice inside to co-create where uh, after, you know, Sarah, similar to your story, like where we had five people come in and interview candidates, after the candidate goes, they do, what is it? They're like, almost like rock, paper, scissors, but it's like food to power. And then everybody can do everything from a one to a five. And, and if anybody has below a three, then that opens up the, the a conversation of mm-hmm. like, what's, what's, what's underneath that. And so let's explore. So they open it up to where, uh, where, you know, and you know, that you have sort of like, and it's not a veto, but it's like a, I have some concerns and I want to voice it. And so it's like food two, power and three or something like that. Um, and I thought it was just a brilliant way of co-creating, allowing people to bring in their voices around uh, the staffing. So a fun way of, of co-creating your staffing process or your hiring process. We do like a written version of that, but that sounds so much cooler. So we <laughs> <Yeah>. come <laughs> up with our own version of that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, Slade, if you're out there listening to this, thanks for that awesome example. Hopefully I did it justice. Well, uh, Ali, Andy, thank you both for your time, for your wisdom, your expertise. Uh, and I think really too, for giving, giving nonprofit leaders out there who, uh, you know, there's burnout right now. And some of uh, some, if not a lot of it is coming from the space of there's overwork and there's not enough time, right. Which means it gets to staffing and resources and, and how do you, how do you do this? How do you go into this? especially with old ways of thinking, like that's why we're trying to hit this next normal. So I really appreciate you both bringing in some of your insights and wisdom around what you've been learning literally in the trenches every day of doing this type of work. Uh, Cause it's really helping. Uh, I think many people out there uh, who are listening to this, frankly, not feel alone that um, and the isolation we know is one of the biggest issues around burnout. So thank you for helping solve nonprofit leader burnout by being on here today. Um, for all of you who are listening, we'll have more information. And Ali, I know that people can come and work with you. And you have a whole model just for small community-based nonprofits. Those who, sounds like similar to you, Andy, who are don't have a fully formed HR department, as you said. Uh, maybe you have an HR person part-time. You, really in that $1 to $6 million annual budget size of nonprofits, which I learned recently that 97% of nonprofits are under $5 million in revenue. Wow. Okay. In, in the so country. We're in, yeah. we're in good company. Though. Yeah. So a lot of nonprofits. So uh, anyway, but we'll put a little bit more information about um, just a really cool model that you have uh, in our show notes, as well as to learn more about Andy and, and maybe your LinkedIn profiles, if you're okay with that and people can connect with you if they have any other questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Dr. Thanks, Sarah. Awesome. Yeah, thank you guys. All right. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye. <laughs>